Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more on Walt's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. You can always reach me, Nave, at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And I'd like to remind you, we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to build your writing chops and find some great tips on how to do that, imaginativestorm.com. And today I am with a brand new guest. I've only met this woman once. Her name is Jessica Falcon, and I met her through Maya Toll at a reading at Malaprop's Bookstore in Asheville, North Carolina. We were in the in the coffee shop area of Malaprops and also in the performance area. So Maya was giving a reading and Jessica was there listening to Maya. Now Jessica has been doing some interesting work with mysticism, exploring what it means to view the world from the point of view of a, a mystic and how we can all engage those kinds of sensibilities. She's coming from a tradition of other things. I'll let her tell that story. And so Jessica, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. <laughs> Thank you, James. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I love that we met through a writing, you know, the release of Maya's book and, and we share that passion for writing and magic and mysticism and all fun things in the world. So I'm excited to be here with you today. And Mysticism. Oh, my gosh. How to even define mysticism? Uh <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I was sitting reading your website thinking, well, I'm going to talk to Jessica. I'd like to find out more about mysticism and where she's coming from. I went online and found a friend of mine quoted there, Mirabai Starr. She's a, she lives in Taos, and Mirabai wrote a book called Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of Women Mystics. And in this article, she says mysticism is transcending established belief systems, bypassing the intellect, and dissolving identification with ego self. So how about it? Tell us why you are engaged in this and, and build that out a bit with some of your backstory so we can know, you know, how you entered this wandering journey of the mystic. The very first thing that comes to my mind is the Eye of Horus which is our capacity to view the world through spiritual eyes, not the physical eyes. And the Eye of Horus is an ancient Egyptian mythology, the area of the third eye, which is between the eyebrows. And it's our mystical vision. It's our capacity to see beyond the illusion of form. It's our capacity to see the energy that lies within. It's our capacity to see the divine within. It's our capacity to see what our physical eyes cannot see and to live according to that truth. And so when we enter the mystical path, we're no longer limited to physical form. We're no longer limited to just the body. We are using the body as a vessel as a conduit, as a portal to something greater. And it's almost like we begin to sense more with the body. It requires, I think, really using other senses rather than just the mind, which is why Mirabai is 
uh, definition is very similar. It's like you're you're going beyond the the mind, the rational mind, the logical mind, and you're sensing with something else. You're sensing with the body's capacity to feel. You're sensing energy. Maybe you see the energy. Maybe you feel the energy. Maybe you hear something. Maybe you're just attuning to the vibration or frequency of something else. And for me, the mystical path is living my life as the soul I am, living my life from this eternal perspective that I am divine, I am one with the divine, and therefore I can't just live life the way we're told to live it. There's way more than meets the eye on this planet and this world, on this earth, that we've only just begun to discover. And so I live according to that truth. I live based on my inner world that can access that truth in every single moment. One of the things that Mirabai mentioned in her definition that you just read is like transcending the beliefs that we've been told. Well, we've been told we're purely physical beings. We've been told that the earth is a place that is not sacred and holy. We have been told that the divine only exists outside of ourselves or outside of this planet. We have been told that we can't trust our bodies, that our bodies are sinful, that our bodies are corrupt. We've been told all of these beliefs that absolutely have to be transcended to enter the mystical path. So this mystical path that we can enter, I'm wondering if we haven't already entered it, did we start that way? And as we've grown from the child into the adult, all of this external material has been overlaid on our psyches. And I'm also wondering, when we talk about our souls and our spirituality, our souls, are they individual? Or are they shared with all the souls of all of existence? And how do we distinguish that? Or do we even bother? I love that question. So here's how I define a soul. I define the soul as the individuated aspect of the divine that we are. So my soul is unique to me. I am an individuated aspect of the divine, of God, source, universe, whatever terminology. I know terminology is really loaded, <laughs> but whatever terminology you want to use, an individuated aspect of that. And therefore, I am my unique soul, and I am one with all souls. And I like to use it in terms of symbolism because symbolism bypasses the rational mind. Symbolism has been used for thousands and thousands of years that we know of, 10, 20,000 plus years of symbols that we found in all these ancient cultures and civilizations that point to the capacity to really imbue the meaning of the symbol into our energy field, into our consciousness that doesn't require this rational understanding. And so if the listeners want to, they can always pick up a pen and paper and draw this because I can't show you necessarily, but if you draw one big circle and then another circle in the middle of that circle. That's how I look at the divine source. God is the small circle inside the big circle. And then it opens, it spreads, it grows, it expands. And then every dot 
that creates that second circle is a soul that has come separated from source and is its own unique dot that makes up that bigger circle. So we are an aspect of the divine because we've come from this small circle and we've separated and we've grown and we expanded and we are now our own. And yet we're still connected to the all because we come from that one point of light, energy, God, source. Every living thing and everything must be alive because it's made of atoms has a soul essence to it. We as human beings, as Mirabai said, dissolving identification with ego self, I wonder if we are the only creatures roaming around in this vast world who have to deal with the ego self. I wonder if all of the other creatures are just mystics by nature and they don't give it much thought. Yeah. There's no ego self there. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fox. Off I go. I'm an eagle. I'm a, a, a rat in the subway. I'm a, a spider. What do you think about that ego self thing? in relationship to other animals? I have no answer for that. I've never even thought of it till just now. <laughs> mm, it's a fascinating question. I haven't necessarily thought it in that particular way before either. I would say what comes to me is, so yes, the humans have the ego self, which I actually think is quite misunderstood. I don't necessarily think the ego self is all bad um, or that we have to completely transcend the ego self in physical form, but that's a whole different conversation we could have if we want to go there. In terms of animals, I've actually had a lot of encounters with wild animals because I hike a lot. I'm outdoors a lot. I've had, I've faced a mama bear within a few feet in front of me. I've been attacked by wild dogs. I've had, I can't tell you, even 11 snakes in the past two months have come across my path, including rattlesnakes. Like I've just had a lot of wild animal encounters. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have a really, it's an interesting view of, I have animals come to me regularly. I'm a bit of a shaman. I do a lot of shamanic type work, even though it's not the traditional shaman. And I'm very connected to that realm. And, and I will tell you that my encounter with a mama bear I'm just going to tell the story because I think this will be a fascinating story for your listeners because I was hiking. There's actually an Asheville at the Craven Gap Trail, which is a pretty popular trail. And it was about a year and a half ago, nearly two years ago. And I was walking on the trail. I was completely alone. <laughs> there was no one else on the trail. And I was actually singing, I own my soul, like on the trail out loud. Like I own my soul. I just had this moment of uh, reclamation. And I'm singing this, I'm walking, I turn around, I'm walking back, I round the corner and 10 feet in front of me on the trail is a gigantic mama bear and two cubs on the trail. So, well, instinct is different than consciousness. So instinct took over, even though my mind knows you're not supposed to run from a mama bear and all that, my body went into flight. So I immediately see the mama bear, our eyes catch. She looks at me, I look at her, I turn around, I run. Now she starts to run after me on all fours, roaring. I'm running, my consciousness kicks in. I go, you're not supposed to run from a mama bear. Oh my God, you're supposed to turn around. You're supposed to face it. So I turn around, I stamp my feet down on the ground. I hold my fist out. And I roar, 
the biggest roar you can imagine. Like I roared and she pulled her paw back, bowed her head at me to the ground, stood up on all twos. She is four feet away from me, stood up on her feet. She was so big. I'm looking up at her eye to eye, roaring, because I was not going to stop roaring, roaring. We're eye to eye. She looks at me. I look at her. And then she turns around and saunters away and walks with her cubs up the mountain. And I, of course, kept roaring <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> until I got to the end of the trail and knew that I was completely safe. And then my entire body literally started to like shake uncontrollably because the nervous system had to release itself like a primal animal because we're that too. We're conscious and we're spiritual, but we're also primal animals. And so from that moment, I realized several things. One, animals generally come into our life for a very spiritual reason. <laughs> two, she clearly wasn't scared of me. She felt me. She felt I meant her no harm. She felt me. There was a communication between me and her that cannot be explained with words. It transcended logic. It transcended mind. There was this reckoning, this knowing, this primal transmission between us that happened. And she knew. She didn't run away. She didn't attack. She knew. And so did her instinct also respond to protect her cubs when she first saw me? Yes. Just like my instinct was to run. Animal, nervous system, primal, which is technically you could call it ego because that's separation, right? But it's not ego in terms of one over the other. It's just our our separation that leads to that reaction and she had the feeling capacity to transcend it that's a terrific story <laughs> Ooh, i was with you the whole time <laughs> i have a question to ask now after you experienced this you clearly took the bear experience in I imagine the bear may be somewhere telling the story about you as well. Who knows? <laughs> How did this experience inform the way you interact with people now? How much of an impact has it had on your, maybe your conscious, your subconscious, the way you mm. uh, regard other people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I mentioned that I own my soul part first is because my passion is, is sovereignty, soul sovereignty, ownership of the soul, ownership of the self, divine sovereignty to live according to that inner knowing, the inner soul's truth, and to be one's own authority. So I felt in that moment, one of the biggest things that I received from that was not only was it a point of initiation for me, because I've been on a path of initiation for a very long time, and this was a, a crowning moment, so to speak, but also it was face your fears, really 
face your fears. If I had kept running away, both of us would have still been an ego separation, nervous system, instinctual response. But I turned around and I faced her, not with aggression, but with, I stand my ground. I have a right to be here. I have a right to take up space just as you do. Not, I have more right to be here than you. I don't have any more right to be in the forest than the bear does. Nor does she have any more right to be there than I do. We both get to live in harmony. We get to both be there. And to me, sovereignty is also recognizing that, that it is, I honor you, I honor me. I see me, I see you. I hear you, I hear me. It is both because love is both, heart is both. And so I take that into how I live my life, that it is to know oneself, the key to freedom. It is to live according to my soul's truth, but it is never to impose that on another. Here's a question about sovereignty that I'm curious about right now. When you talk about your sovereignty, that implies that I have my sovereignty and everybody else around me has theirs as well. Is this a matter of developing our sovereignty that already exists? Is it a matter of developing it? Or is it a matter of becoming aware of something that we have always had, taking our, our rightful place within something that exists now that we just maybe haven't recognized, haven't communed with, haven't addressed? Hmm. Beautiful question. So I do think that sovereignty is remembering and reclaiming. However, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know that many sovereign people. And, and by that, I mean people truly living according to their own soul's truth in every moment. Not to what you're told. This is not about living based on the mind. This is about living based on the soul. And so in order to be sovereign, you have to know yourself. A lot of this is actually encoded in the story of Adam and Eve. It's a really fascinating story that I use a lot in my writing and in my speaking and everything. Because to be sovereign is to know oneself, the forbidden fruit. And to take that is to say, I bow down to the divine within me as my authority, not my ego, not my personality self, to the divine within me, to the divine that I am. I know how, I learn how, and this is what I work with clients on, to access that truth in and through the body, which is a portal to the divine. It's a communication device of the soul. This is one of the things we've been separated from from so long. And when you begin to know yourself, which is to access the wisdom of the body, to release what is not yours, all the truths we've ingested for thousands of years. I believe in past lives. You don't have to believe in past lives to get this, but all of these truths that we've ingested, we, we clear. We, we make room for the truth that rises within us that is from our unique soul and we then live according to that 
when we do that, we have to face the fears. This goes back even to the bear story. We have to face the fears that tell us we're not worthy of that. Who am I? If I do this, I'll be punished. The fears of safety, security, survival. There are so many fears embedded in the story of Adam and Eve that we can really look at to uncover like what we have to face to reclaim our divine sovereignty. Because it's very clear. I, I lay this out very clearly in my book. It's a very clear way of looking at what I call the six wounds of fear, guilt, shame, doubt, blame, and unworthiness. And these six things have to be confronted within the self as we access simultaneously the deep soul truth. It's not a linear process. It's a spiraling process of accessing the deep soul truth while releasing these six wounds that have been perpetuated on all of humanity for thousands of years in order to say, I am worthy of this. I claim my sovereignty. I claim my freedom. I will not let another be the authority over me because I will not bow down to fear. I bow down to the divine that I am. And that is the key to experiencing that level of soul freedom. Sovereignty, as you have described it, is a state of being that seems to me rather desirable. <laughs> I, I think would, so. I would like to be sovereign. <laughs> It also seems to me to be something that isn't a goal you achieve and then, okay, now I'm sovereign. Like it, it's an ongoing aspirational quest throughout one's life. Have a relationship with one's soul, one essence in the six elements that you just talked about. Here's my question as I'm wondering this. It's such a valuable thing to have. Why do you say or why do you think you see so few people who have it and the people that you have known you think have it, will they tell you they have it or will they say, I'm just on a search, I'm just on a journey. My sovereignty is coming as it has always come and will come until the end after I leave this earth. How do you take us into that thinking a bit? So I am sovereign. Now it's taken me a very long time to get here because that doesn't mean that I'm at the final end all be point. There's nothing else to learn. There's nothing else to evolve into. There's nothing else to expand into. I just go into deeper and deeper levels of consciousness every day and I'm sovereign. So this is your second question that I'm answering because I know myself really well. I spend time in meditation, sometimes hours a day, and I do it through my body. I question my thoughts. I observe my thoughts. I'm aware. I, I question myself. There's a difference between doubting and questioning, but I question myself. And I have developed the capacity. And one of my gifts is, is opening energy our capacity to receive and move energy. And so I move energy through my body every day and I access divine energy and earth energy and I, and I, I feel like I live between the worlds every day. 
And that capacity within me has been developed. As you know, I had a very different life before this. <laughs> I was a criminal prosecutor and an attorney for seven years. And so I was not necessarily living that. And even though I was in a very powerful position, I was not sovereign. And I think that the reason I was not sovereign, that I don't see a lot of people being sovereign, to go into your first question, is that I was still very much living in my head. I do not believe you can be sovereign and not be embodied because our head, our mind only receives what is told. It receives the beliefs of society. It receives the absorbed social conditioning. It receives the beliefs we've inherited, right? So our mind knows what it's told, what it sees, what it's absorbed. Now, that is none of that is the soul's truth. <laughs> none of that is the soul's truth. I was full of intellectual knowledge. I'd read the books. I went to school for seven years. I knew case law like the back of my hand. I was really successful as an attorney. I knew everything intellectually. I thrived off intellectual conversations. That is not soul. I was so disconnected from my body from the throat down. I didn't know how to access my soul's voice. I didn't know how to access my soul's truth. I didn't even really know how to feel at that point. Oh, I'm not angry. Oh, I don't feel that. I'm fine. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to trust or connect to the wisdom of my body. I didn't know. I certainly didn't think that I was worthy of being divine. I didn't have that connection to that light to my energy centers to the earth i was very disconnected from the earth and i believe that in order to be sovereign we have to learn how to go in and connect to the soul's truth in and through the body where it resides because the body is energy in form so it's not like the body is the source because it's the physical body i know i'm not my body I'm it's the energy in the body between the contours of the skin that we're accessing. Because I believe every single cell contains the divine. Every single cell of the body contains information, soul wisdom. And when we learn how to go into, to access this energy that forms the body, that is the energy of the soul. So when the soul, the individuated aspect of the divine, chooses to come into form it takes on the body but it's the energy of the soul that forms the body therefore we can access the energy of the soul through the body because it is what has formed the body and that's why it's a communication device this very powerful experience of being sovereign that you have as i'm listening to you i'm wondering well, am I sovereign? I don't know if I am or not. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Sort of rolling around uh, you know, here in the coffee shop in Denver, Colorado. I'm wondering, you said, well, I was a lawyer, an attorney. I had all the case law, everything in my head. I was working from the neck up, not really addressing anything my body had to offer. Once one realizes or once one understands how to have the sovereignty, and then I 
would expect it's like playing a musical instrument once you learn how to play it if you play it every day it's going to stay strong if you don't play it it might fade a bit do you think it's possible to take that experience of sovereignty and apply it to any situation i'm not saying you would ever go back to the law but could you come into a profession like the law and have the nurtured sovereignty be the primary power source for the work you do and this could cut across the whole spectrum of of jobs so once we have it can we retain it regardless of our circumstances Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the analogy of the musical instrument, like you keep tuning it, right? And you keep playing it. And that is absolutely how we maintain our sovereignty, because we learn the tools, we learn the codes, we access that, we open the energy channels, and then we know how to continue doing that, because we've developed that relationship with our soul, so that it's ever present, but we keep tuning it, we, we keep expanding that relationship. So to answer that question about the job, yes, if my soul wanted to be an attorney again i could be an attorney and be in soul sovereignty from that perspective however my soul that's not what my soul wants so if i were to go against what my soul wants and do it out of my mind telling me i should i would not be in my sovereignty so then the next question follows how can we i'm saying we as all all of us especially those listening who maybe have considered this but haven't really given it too much thought. How do we trust what our souls say, especially if we haven't done as, say, much work as you have? And we're busy. We have to get the children to the soccer game. We're busy. We have to pay the bills. We have to do our lives. The whole world is out there rambunctious as it is informing us or disrupting us how can one pause for a moment and hear that still small voice without having to go so deep into the work that you've done can that happen Mm -hmm. so first i want to say yes it can and at first i also want to say that part of the programming is we don't have enough time and we can't and it takes a long time. That's part of the programming. That's part of the belief system that we've been fed. And part of sovereignty is recognizing I'm a creator. I choose how to spend my time. I choose based on my value system, based on my priorities. I am able to create that in a way that serves me. Now, I have chosen because I am a soul embodiment guide, because of the type of work that I do with my clients, because I'm here to specifically channel these cosmic energies and bring them into form. I do need to and choose to spend more time than the average person accessing this and meditation. Do I have to spend that much time? For my individual self, no, because I'm doing this for other people as well. Now, for an individual, this does still require time with self because we cannot know the self if we don't spend time with the self. (laughs) Now, most people just haven't made that a priority, right? Oh, this matters more, that's the conditioning. Oh, I have to, that's the conditioning. I should, that's the conditioning. I have no time, that's the conditioning. We can make up stories in our ego mind all we want about ways we can't do something. (laughs) I decide I want to do something, I'm going to do it. 
I decide I can, I will. That's up to me to decide to create the time, to create the priority, to make that a value system. It's all about what you're valuing more. Most people are conditioned to value self less than other. Most people are conditioned to value productivity over time with self. Those are just a few of the ways we have to confront these belief systems and programming in order to create and cultivate the time needed to spend with self. We hear the voice that says you're lazy. You should be getting this done. You should be taking care of that. You have all these other things to do. This other thing seems more enticing. Well, guess what? Your relationship and the quality of your relationship with everything, including the world around you, is based on the quality of your relationship with yourself. And so when you make that a priority and you go into and cultivate that relationship with self, you become a better partner, a better parent, a better employee or business owner or entrepreneur or writer, or whatever it is that you're doing, because you are no longer needing the other person, trying to subconsciously control the other person. You're no longer fearing. You're no longer attached unhealthily. You're, you are sovereign. You are free. You give them the freedom to be who they are. You come from this place of, I know what I need, want, and feel. I'm willing to express that authentically without fear that you're going to reject me or abandon me. I know what I need, want, and feel, and I'm going to communicate that and also hear what you need, want, and feel so that we create a balanced relationship. I'm going to know, feel, hear what I need. And when my child is screaming in the corner, I'm able to communicate with them and energetically even attune to a vibration and frequency that child can respond to rather than anxiety, rather than fear, which actually children are incredibly sensitive. They attune to that instead of the peace, instead of the calm, instead of the love, instead of the compassion. So the more compassion you have for yourself, the more compassion you automatically have for other. It, it works that way with everything. And so when we spend that time, I would suggest a minimum of five minutes a day. If you feel like that's all that you have, I believe everybody has more because we have 24 hours in a day. And that seems like an awful little to give yourself <laughs> like out of 24 hours. I'm only worthy of five minutes. Like, I don't think that's true. But if that's all you feel like you have, then five minutes, I would recommend putting your hands on your heart and closing your eyes and placing your awareness under your heart and just saying to your heart, I'm here, I'm listening. Show me what you want me to see. Tell me what you want me to know. I love you and listen and just be. I love you. Beautiful words, long, long, long ranging words. Mm -hmm. From your place of Awareness and sovereignty, obviously, you spend a lot of time with this. When you encounter people who are intent on really pushing hard back on that, they see you and they just don't like it because they're maybe jealous, envy, whatever. Because you've developed a reservoir of compassion, how do you respond to people who come at you, who push it or are very jealous? Or even do you find that in the world that you live in? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you asked that because I struggled with a feeling that people were intimidated or jealous for a very long time. Because we are told in our society that it is egotistical to claim your greatness and to claim your light. 
And I was so afraid of claiming my greatness and claiming my light, which meant I couldn't fully shine my light because I was so afraid. And I was told by people, my light blinded them. And in response, I tried to hide my light to make them comfortable, (laughs) which clearly is not my truth, (laughs) nor did it serve them. So in the moment, we think it's going to serve the other person if we hide our greatness, if we pretend we're not strong, if we pretend we're not that good, if we pretend we're not that smart, we think we're gonna make the other person comfortable. And I used to be an expert at making everybody comfortable (laughs) because deep down when we're afraid of making other people uncomfortable, what are we really afraid of? They're not gonna like me, they're not gonna accept me, they're going to reject, they're gonna abandon, they're right all of these things i'm not going to belong survival issues root chakra well guess what my belonging is no longer contingent on belonging to another person i belong to myself i belong to the earth i belong to the divine therefore no one can ever take that away from me and that is instilled energetically and emotionally in my body and what i help clients create so that you no longer ever have to betray the self to receive belonging from another person, which we are conditioned to do. And so when I face that, I root in, I anchor, I know I belong to me, and I will not bow down to another at my own expense. I will not separate from myself for the benefit of another again, ever. When you're working with your clients, and obviously it's very effective because as I sit here listening to you, I feel like I'm having a little lesson myself. Thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) When someone lost in the wilderness comes to you, what do they start to look like when you notice the veil lifting? How do they change? How does their countenance shift? What do you see first that's an indicator that this new awareness is emerging? You know, I've discovered from working with my clients that every single one says, I feel so free. I feel so free. I've realized that's my medicine is freedom. Like that is the greatest medicine I bring to people and it's what i see how they feel it so they feel it and i had this one particular client who even was saying like it's not like anything in my external world has changed it's that my relationship to it is so different that i feel free even though it might look the same outside of me (laughs) because the kind of freedom that i'm talking about is soul freedom it's not contingent on external circumstance so it's i think what they feel what i feel but what i see in them is this capacity to be so fully who they are they don't have to hide they don't have to reject parts of themselves they don't have to apologize for who they are they don't have to pretend they don't have to say they're okay when they're not okay this is really practical one of my passions is that we have created a society in which most people do not feel free in their relationships. And we cannot experience the relationships we truly desire 
if we don't cultivate individual sovereignty. Because a relationship rooted in freedom and shared power and true love requires two sovereign individuals that meet halfway and create the third of a relationship, the Vesica Pisces symbol. It's two whole circles. Each person is whole and complete unto self, sourced from within. Sovereignty is I source belonging from within. I source love from within. I source safety from within. I am whole and complete. I am my own authority. I then choose, choose to come into a relationship with another, to create the third that almond shaped in the center of the two whole circles when they meet halfway, ancient, ancient symbol of sacred relationship. That third is the union. It has to be based on choice. When it's based on codependency, need, unhealthy attachment, neither person is free. And so each person has to be sovereign to release those, what I see as energetic cords that prohibit the capacity for freedom in the relationship. Brilliant explanation. Here's another question as we move toward the end of our time together, or maybe it's a thought, maybe both. One of the things I have experienced when I have felt free is a deep sense of relaxation. Freedom mm -hmm. to me equals being relaxed. As we close, would you reflect on relaxation and freedom and how those two, at least in my mind, go together and maybe in yours as well. Mm -hmm. What I hear when you say that is actually inner peace. Is that true for you? I would describe it as peacefulness, yeah. Relaxation, mm -hmm. peacefulness, a sense of safety, a sense of no hurry. I don't have to get anywhere, be anywhere, do anything, be anything. I'm just here in this eternal moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what i also hear when you say that is that that comes from being centered in self is that also true that's true yes and so that centered in self to me is also how i experience that freedom it's that i'm centered here in self in this moment embodied in this moment present here aware Free, free to choose, free to decide, free to feel, free to be who I am right here. Nothing I have to change. I'm already worthy. I'm already here. I'm fully present. I'm fully alive. That's freedom. That's also a lovely place to fade out of this conversation. <laughs> Before we fade too far out of it, I would love for you to tell folks how they could find out more about your work, how they could connect with you what you offer and those little things that we can use to help people connect with you. Yeah. So my website is the path to sovereignty.com and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at the path to sovereignty as well. I also have a podcast called the radically Embody love podcast. And for me, I work with clients in groups and one-on-one. -on -one. There's a free meditation on my website. If people want to receive a meditation, uh, the one I'm currently offering is a heart womb connection to really connect to the heart, connect to the womb, reunite them. 
because they've been disconnected in most of us, the heart and womb. And by womb, I mean energetic womb. It's the belly space. So every gender sex has a womb, the energetic womb. So because that is how we anchor into the self, that's where our feelings are. It's the sacral chakra. Um, so just to clarify that. But um, yeah, I have a book coming out. Ideally, hopefully it'll come out next year called The Power of Eve about healing the wounds of the feminine, reclaiming sovereignty. I work with clients who are devoted to soul freedom and 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 really guide people into their body. So, But you can also just uh, sign up and get lots of juice from the blogs and emails and nice note tips and support all the time, free meditation. So, Well, Jessica Falcon, thank you so much for taking time to be on Twice 5 Miles Radio. I really, really appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure and such a profound conversation. I appreciate your capacity to go there with me <laughs> and to ask the questions and, and to really receive it. It's been really beautiful and such an honor. Thank you. So there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Jessica Falcon. So as we move to the top of the hour in the last 10 minutes or so we have together, I'd like to reflect a little bit on what Jessica said about sovereignty and having a sense of self a sense of belonging, a sense of place in the world, a sense of honesty. If you are not honest with yourself, how can you know who you are? And if, you, and if you're drifting away from a sense of who you are, how can you know where you want to go? All of these are the kind of questions that Jessica stirred in my brain when she was talking over the last 45 minutes or so. So one of the things I think I learned from Jessica is this idea of sovereignty gives you a sense of freedom to be honest about the things you're thinking of and also in combination with the honesty gives you a growing sense of the love of self or another way to say it self-love embracing yourself and once you embrace yourself you can become more honest now the reason i'm curious about honesty is because lately i've been thinking Honesty is not as dramatic as I once thought it was, and I may have mentioned that on this show before. What I've discovered, when one tries to be more honest, and I've been doing that lately, the effort to connect more honestly has a subtle and yet very powerful impact on the things that you write or say. For example, last week I was in Denver recording the audiobook for my new book, 100 Days, Poems After Cancer. And as I was sitting in the studio with Steve Rush, and because I've been thinking about honesty a lot, I was more relaxed. I didn't feel so rushed. I didn't feel the need to try to impress you. I felt more the need to just be with the material as I, as I read it aloud. And because I was more relaxed, I connected more emotionally even though it was subtle, it seemed like it was more honest to me. I was also relaxed because Steve Rush is a professional sound person, and I wasn't worried about all the technical stuff, so combination of the two things allowed me to connect more. So here's a sample of one of the poems to give you an idea of what I mean. Maybe you can hear it. Anyway, we'll see. Here you go. Eleven. Splashing Rhythms Although I walked easier and faster yesterday, I'm not interested in becoming an express train or Learjet. 
I like the slow pace of ambling along railroad tracks or paddling a canoe across a salt marsh. I want to take my time while I admire great blue herons gliding over brackish water, slow wing beats, sinuous necks, long sharp bills. I want to pop my paddle on the surface and make rhythms like the djembe rhythms the rainbow tribes make, their shadows spinning around and around until their toes tell a deeper story than their tongues could ever say. Skin is their currency, night is their day, smoke is their language. When the noon train whistled up the valley, I thought, good things happen when you give yourself over to the tracks. I'll bet I'm not the only one who likes to walk the rails. Here's your question. Describe a time when you gave yourself over to what you wanted to do. Are you pleased or do you regret your decision? So there's an example of one of the poems that I recorded of the 100. So we did spend a lot of time working on it. I certainly felt more connected when I was reading the poem. So if that's the case, connection I do believe equals a deeper honesty. So there you go, my little experiment. Y you be the judge. So Jessica did lift up the idea that sovereignty has a lot to do with self-love, the bigger kind of love, if you know what I mean. And so on that note, I would like to offer a song I've played before here. I think I've done it two or three times. It's by Big John Scherer. I love Big John's interpretation of this song, which he titles Nature Boy, Nature Girl. And it's all about love. And I would just like to play it now because I like it and I think you will too. And I think it's on the subject of sovereignty and loving oneself and having some love for those around us. So here you go, Big John's share, giving us his version of Nature Boy, Nature Girl. a boy, a very special kind of boy. He wandered very far, very far, over land and sea. He was a little shy <laughs> and sad of Happened to pass my way. We talked of 
things golden queens then she said to me the greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return and then there was a boy and girl a very special boy and That was Big John Shear singing Nature Boy, Nature Girl, to love and be loved in return. Well, what more can you ask for? And just for fun, I'd like to offer you one more piece of poetry from my recording session in Denver. You'll note that the poem starts out with no music, and then it closes with a little piece of music. I have Walter Parks to thank for that music as well as for our theme song here. Walter agreed to give me enough music so I could add a little bit of sound after each of the 100 poems. So here's the 12th poem, and when you listen, you'll hear that sound at the end of the piece. 12. Paradolia Sky While relaxing in my chair, Brubeck's Take 5 reminded me of my college days. A.D. and Tish stared at their laptops. Rain spilled over the hills. The wood stove blazed. Branches tapped the windows. A.D. announced his respect for people who disarm old landmines. Tish wrote a sestina. I touched the staples on my belly and concluded there was time to love, time to live, time to watch elephants fly in the Paradolia sky. Here's your question. Pareidolia is when you perceive an image in a random visual pattern, like a cloud that looks like an elephant. What specific images have you noticed in random places? And there you go, the 12th poem in my series of 100 poems, which brings us to the end of our time together. Thank you so much for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio. I really do appreciate it. We're always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you once again, Walter Parks, for our theme song. 
Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM. I really do appreciate it. If you would like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. I would love to hear from you. also like to remind you that we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing chops, you can go to imaginativestorm.com, and there you will find a whole lot of resources that will get you started on that page imaginativestorm.com and on that note like I said thanks again for spending a little time with me and I hope you do come back sometime soon until then maybe I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line <laughs>